all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious and the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. Thank you so much for tuning in to these Psalms for Summer's End. I've heard from many of you that being in the Psalms was exactly what you needed in this season, and of course, that makes me just so incredibly happy to hear. I'm actually recording this as an up-to-date podcast, as in it is September of 2022, and I thought it was only fitting that we actually end the summer together a little more in real time. So with that said, happy first week of fall to you. You know me well enough to know that it makes me really happy to say that out loud. Fall is my favorite time of year, but then again, it's probably because it just leads us into the most wonderful time of year. (laughs) So happy to celebrate all of that with you today. And I'm excited because this will give me the chance to also update you a little bit on life since I released the song Abide and I popped in for a few episodes around that release. If you missed those episodes back in June called the Abide mini series, be sure to check those out. As always though, I poured my heart out onto those episodes and it was so good for me to get to check in with you. And then moving forward, I'm excited to say that the plan is, as of right now, that the podcast will resurface on October 12th for a series this fall to celebrate the first few singles of my new album. Nathan and I have been working so diligently on this project. Talk about pouring our hearts and souls out for many months now. (laughs) Yeah, I will say the inspiration around it has been more like years in the making, just like the Lullaby album was. In fact, the other day, Nathan and I were talking about how special it was that you as my podcast audience were so much a part of the beginnings of those Lullaby songs and all that God was teaching me through them. And I have to believe and even know from some of you that the songs just very much resonated with what God was doing in your lives as well. And having a podcast has been a dream come true for me personally as a songwriter, because getting to tell the stories behind the songs is just as important to me, as you know, than getting to sing them. This is because there is a lot of truth to be told that is set to these melodies, and the truth is what transforms us. I like to think of these songs as holding gold and diamonds and treasures because of the refiner's fire of God and how He is constantly coming after our hearts. Even in hardship, trials, suffering, the songs can come right out of those hardships I'm learning. My hope, as always, is that the songs and the podcast series this fall will meet you right where you are, that you will feel seen by God as I share how I have felt seen by Him, and that it will be something that resonates deeply with you again. And I hope it encourages you in these days to hold fast to Jesus and to keep your head up and your heart tender towards Him. His presence is still with us, and that's everything. It's everything. So mark your calendars for the podcast to return on October 12th. And as always, you'll be the first to get to hear the songs before the rest of the world hears them. So that's fun. I so look forward to getting to share these songs with you. Well, our last passage in these Psalms for Summer's End is Psalm 91. And there was originally a very special reason why I chose Psalm 91 back in the original series I released to patrons back in 2018. It was because we were celebrating our son Noah's 
18th birthday that week. And this psalm is one that we picked out for him to pray over him and declare over him when he was just a baby. Before each of our kids were born, Nathan chose a psalm for each of them. Noah's was Psalm 91, as I said. Some of you may remember if you have followed us since the watermark years, and I know I've shared about this a little bit, that we lost two babies, one right after the other in 1998, before we had Noah. In fact, there's an entire chapter called Heart Like a Honeycomb that is dedicated to this season of my life in my book called The Life You Long For. It was the strangest dichotomy of it being the most painful thing that we had ever gone through. But all at the same time, we felt closer to God than we ever had. I think some of you might know what that's like. It's so true that He is near to the brokenhearted. It's almost unexplainable. Well, needless to say, when I got the news that I was pregnant with Noah, I was both elated but terrified all at the same time. You may remember me sharing that I kept the news to myself for about two weeks. Since you can find out so early, I wanted to just get past a few weeks before I even told Nathan. But a part of that was really just me getting to ponder all that God was doing in my heart and honestly, to get to a place of total surrender before I had even told Nathan, not as a way of protecting my heart, but as a way of surrendering the outcome to God. And truly, after all that I had seen that He had already done in my heart through the pain, I actually had begun to trust Him with the pain. And I actually felt this desire for Him to be glorified no matter what. I know that that can only come from the Holy Spirit. That wasn't anything in and of me. I believe it was just the fruit of learning to surrender in that season. I remember praying by myself in my car and thanking God for this baby that was in my womb, but also all in one sentence in so many words, surrendering this baby that was in my womb at the same time. Noah's name means rest. And through the years, I've loved reminding him that he was named out of and born in a season when I was learning what it meant to truly rest in the Lord, to truly surrender everything to him. I vividly remember getting past the 12-week mark in my pregnancy with Noah because I had never made it past 12 weeks in a pregnancy before. So it felt like there were just these mile markers along the way through carrying him. And the hope and prayer is that this is still carrying him through as I think about it now, that this is a theme threaded through his own life now of learning to rest and trust and surrender to Jesus. And we are actually seeing evidence of that in his life, which is everything to us as parents. The entire goal of parenthood is that we become dependable people in our kids' lives who teach them to then eventually depend completely on God. That's the goal, right? A complete transfer of trust and dependency, not on themselves once they leave home and not on us anymore, but full trust in God the God who made them and loves them, knows them, and is with them. Nathan and I are learning all the time that so much of parenting is actually us modeling, right? Modeling that dependency upon God. And to do that, we have to stay tuned into God and our understanding of who He is. I have several photography friends and a few who actually are really into astronomy photography. 
And it's super mind-blowing to me that just from some field out in the middle of a small town, you're able to capture gorgeous pictures of our galaxy. And one thing I've learned from them that's always stuck with me, they say in order to get clear pictures, they have to align their equipment very precisely with Polaris, which is the North Star. Apparently, if it's not exactly aligned with the North Star, all the photos will be blurry. So as you're already picking up on, it's such a beautiful parallel of God reminding us that we must be precisely tuned into Him, to who He is, so that we can get a clear picture of who we are and the world we live in. So as we do just that, as we tune in to who God is together today, I'm gonna read Psalm 91 over us, and I pray that as I do, that you'll remember that you too were born or at least reborn into a spirit of rest and that you are covered by the Almighty today and He is trustworthy with your surrender to Him. This is Psalm 91, my refuge and my fortress. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness." nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent." For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble." I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I think verse one hits me as sweeter than it ever has since I've released the song Abide. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. What even is this life that that's available to us today? (laughs) To rest in the shadow of the Almighty, which we'll unpack a little bit more here in a minute, and to receive everything we need from our true source of life. I need to say that I'm feeling like it's so good for us to hear the names of God like Most High and God Almighty, I think we have become a culture that's a little bit accustomed to just being casual and even narrow-minded in our view of God. It's become a bit skewed. 
What I love most about the Psalms, my friend Matt Redman said this actually, that they prescribe or they prescribe what our worship to God is supposed to sound like and look like. I love that. Our worship to the Almighty is already prescribed and described all throughout these 150 poems and songs right in the middle of our Bible. I also love that the Psalms help us tune into all the facets of who God really is. Our culture loves to focus on the love of God because it's most palatable, right? But His love is not the end of it. He is all-knowing. He's powerful. He is purity. He is holiness. He is a righteous judge. He's a consuming fire. And the list goes on and on. All that to say, it's just good to come around this word, Almighty. The Hebrew word behind it is a name of God that you'll probably recognize, El Shaddai. Thank you, Amy Grant, which means God Almighty. That Shaddai part is actually sort of fussed over by scholars on exactly what it means, but overall, the central theme is just His power. So as we dive in today, that's just this banner over us is Almighty, Almighty God. He's all powerful, He's the maker of the stars and the planets. And galaxies, who also thought it clever to include a North Star <laughs> that would always remind us of Him, our true North. With all that said, there's just kind of this beautiful juxtaposition that happens in this psalm. We're talking about the Most High and the Almighty, but then we roll into what is actually a pretty tender an almost intimate psalm that is collectively supposed to be sung by the people of God, yes, but in studying it, the ESV also suggests that it's very personal, that individuals can sing from this place of their own struggles and their own battles and victories, for that matter. The gist of this first section is basically that the Almighty is a secure defense for those who seek refuge in Him, who abide in Him, who rest in Him. Verses 3 through 6 has several phrases like, He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. (laughs) And I want us to get a really close look at this because what this is saying to us is actually quite stunning. So let's look at it. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. That word deliver is the Hebrew word nasal, nastal. I think. And no, I'm never certain that I'm saying Hebrew or Greek, right? (laughs) But I'm okay with it if you are, as long as we just understand what it means. But this word means to snatch away. And who is the Almighty snatching us away from? It says the fowler, as in F-O-W-L-E-R. The fowler comes from this word yakush, which essentially means trapper. But the whole phrase we want to look at It's so beautiful. It says, He delivers us from the snare of the fowler. What is the snare of the fowler? This trapper. Well, it's this word pock, which essentially means bird trap or to trap with a net. So let's just pull these little nuggets together as we finish out this verse. What else does it say He'll deliver us from? Deadly pestilence. That word deadly here in the Hebrew is this word hava, and it means destruction. But weirdly enough, it also just carries the words like desire and chasm. And this is just my interpretation, but I just had this sense that God was just showing us sort of the chasm of emptiness and hollowness that is our enemy, this trapper. And it's almost like pure sport for him 
to trap and destroy God's people. So let's look at this again, just that the Lord is saying, those who take refuge in me, I will snatch you away from the net of this trapper, this empty-hearted destroyer, and I will cover you with my wings. That's verse four. He says, he will cover you with his pinions, that's feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. This is like the father heart of God, literally like going mama bird on us right now. (laughs) Do you realize that when it says the shadow of the Almighty in this passage, it literally means his feathers? If you look up that word pinion, it means shade or protection. I'm sure you've seen pictures of mama birds with their wings extended out over their baby birds, almost where you can't even see or detect the baby birds. They're that hidden. This is the shadow of the Almighty for those who take refuge in Him. He will cover us with His wings, His feathers. Every time I hear this verse, I'm reminded of a story that my mom read years ago about a particular mama bird, not an actual bird, but like a human mama bird who had instilled the Word of God in her children by helping them memorize Scripture. The story is about this mama bird's daughter who grew up and went out on her own and lived in a big city. And one day on the way to work, the young woman was at a stoplight when she suddenly found herself in the snare of a fowler. An intruder had actually opened her car door, sat down in the passenger seat with a gun, and ordered her to go where he told her to go. Well, in a split second, this young woman's mind went directly to the Rolodex of Scripture that she had memorized her entire life. (laughs) In this case, it was Psalm 91.4. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. But as fear and adrenaline shot through her body, all she could remember was the word feathers. So, As he stuck the gun in her face, the young woman started frantically fanning herself in the face and saying the words, feathers, feathers. (laughs) And next thing she knows, the intruder opens the car door, jumps out, and runs away from the car. (laughs) They don't know exactly what happened. Maybe the guy was scared away from this woman fanning her face and saying feathers. God could have absolutely used that. Who knows, though? He also might have seen angel armies encamped around that car, or maybe he saw the wings of the Almighty flapping around that car. The point is, is that his word was her defense that day against the fowler. Verse 4 goes on to say that his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Faithfulness there means truth. His truth is a shield and a buckler. A buckler is a defensive wall or an extension of a ship's side, actually, above the level of the deck. His truth is this defensive wall that keeps us. Moving on to verses 5 and 6, it says that we don't have to fear the terror of the night nor the arrows that fly at us by day. Verse 8 says, You will only look with your eyes, and you will see the recompense of the wicked. This means you'll be standing, and you'll see with your eyes the punishment that will come upon the wicked. I can't help but hear that in the same tone as Exodus 14, 4, that the Lord will fight for you. 
You need only to be still. I know you've heard me share that the song that Nathan and I wrote for Noah on the Be Held, Lullabies for the Beloved album is the song called You Have What It Takes. And I'm reminded of the bridge of this song, which uses that very passage. It says, you're a flame burning in the night, like a big bright city on a hill. You're a force to be reckoned with, like a midnight train running wild. And you need only to be still and know the one who made you, the one who raised you, who gives your heart its fire. You have what it takes. So I'm probably going to go a little bit mama bird on all of us here, but when you take refuge in the Almighty, you have all you need. You have what it takes. I'm not talking about skill sets and parts of our character that God does naturally develop over time. And those things are very important and useful, and they do bring Him glory when we grow in them. But those things are not what define you or defend you today. When I was exercising this week, the trainer, and by trainer, I mean like on YouTube, (laughs) we were doing some cardio sculpting, and one of her main goals is to teach strength from the inside out. So it's all about posture and balance and core strength. But she literally said today in my workout routine, we often think of strength in terms of power and might, but she said strength actually comes from the inside out. It's not about what's going on on the outside. It's about what's going on on the inside. The same is true in the spirit realm for our soul and our spirit. Part of the verse and chorus of you have what it takes is there's a mystery inside you. So let it define you and you can move mountains because you have what it takes. Your heart is a river wide not by power, not by might, but by the Spirit of God. He's living inside. So you have all you need. You need only to believe that when Jesus fights for you, nothing can stop you or stand in your way. You have what it takes. This is upside down from everything the world is cramming down our throats. Us truly living in the refuge of God isn't us fighting for ourselves or even learning how to depend on ourselves more. That's an empty narrative that might work for a minute, but it has zero longevity because eventually we all do become weary. The scriptures say in Isaiah 40, 30, that even youths grow tired and weary, but those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. I've shared this before, but that word there, renew, it's so important. It means to pass through, as in His strength passes through ours. It's an exchange of our shelf life strength for His mountain mover kind of strength. And when you don't know what to do, you need only to be still, to adjust your scope to Polaris, (laughs) so that you can more sharply and clearly see the truth, which stands as a great defensive wall that shields you today. The second verse of the song says, remember that your heart was made for surrender. And when you let go, you will know you have what it takes. It's like loping on a horse. (laughs) It goes against every bone in our body when we're on the back of a horse, not to hold on to that horn for dear life. But it's really in surrender, isn't it? That letting go that we're able to sit down for the ride. 
just like that standing still in the presence of God, knowing that He will deliver us. Let's pick up at verse 9 here because this part is actually crucial to this psalm as it involves our response as worshipers today. It says, Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. So there are spiritual practices or principles in this for us that we have an active part in choosing our dwelling place. Are we going to dwell in the news we hear each day or what we're experiencing on social media that is an ongoing narrative of confusion and disarray? Are we going to find our dwelling place in our circumstances not going as planned or the relational brokenness we find ourselves in? We have a lot of choices each day, don't we? But the Lord says, because you have made me your dwelling place, there is protection and provision for you here, even actual physical protection. As I see that verse, you will tread on the lion and the adder, which means literally a venomous viper. It makes me wonder if you saw my Instagram reel about country life (laughs) out here at Keeper's Branch. I was showing you some cute videos of our dachshunds and our ducks and our chickens, but then it all kind of screeches to a halt when I show you a picture of a rattlesnake that showed up on our back deck a few weeks ago. Yes, a timber rattlesnake. literally known as the deadliest creature in the state of Tennessee, showed up on our back deck. Our daughters are actually the ones who found it. They had just gotten home and it was around dinner time and it was kind of slightly raining outside. It's a little bit misty. And Ellie told me that she had no idea what caused her to go to the back deck. They usually don't ever go back there. And when they drive home, they come through the front door and she had her friend Chandler with her and Ellie wanted to show her the back deck, which has these huge trees growing out of the middle of it, which sounds enchanting and it totally is. But as you can imagine, the maintenance involved (laughs) in having massive oak trees coming out of your deck, it's not enchanting and ideal, but it does also attract all kinds of creatures back there, which usually we're good with unless... It's a rattlesnake. And Ellie was just walking around on the deck, just looking at the dense woods, and she was taking it all in. And her friend Chandler calls out for her to stop right where she was because Ellie was within one foot of stepping on it. That's how camouflaged he was. They came running in the house to tell us that there was a rattlesnake on the deck. And Nathan and I were both like, well, you know, it's not a rattlesnake, maybe like a rat snake but we wouldn't have a rattlesnake. So you guys just calm down and lo and behold, we get out there. It's a rattlesnake. (laughs) In fact, I've never seen a snake that large that's like not in a zoo. It literally looked like someone's pet snake had gotten on the loose. (laughs) It was at least, I am not exaggerating. This isn't one of those stories that like it gets bigger and bigger. Like It was at least four inches in diameter, but probably actually closer to four and a half inches in diameter. That is huge. All in all, that makes two venomous snakes that we found hanging around our house just in the last month. 
We also just found a copperhead in our flower bed right by the steps of our front porch. So, <laughs> so it's something that we are now constantly on the lookout for. Even when people visit, I'm like, watch your step as you go to your car. But all evening after we had the rattlesnake sighting, I just kept thanking the Lord for His protection over Ellie, like His bodily, physical protection. And even as I went to bed that night, I kept thinking, how did He not lash out at her with her being just one foot from literally almost stepping on Him? I knew that Almighty God, in whom we take refuge, had physically been Ellie's shield. Verse 14, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So this is beautiful. We've seen how he physically protects us. And now this is showing us our spiritual provision here, even emotional provision. Because we hold fast to Him in love, He delivers us. He protects us and knows us by name. He answers when we call out to Him. He is with us in the middle of our trouble. He rescues us and even says how He will honor us. That word honor there in the Hebrew carries this idea of being made heavy with abundance, even God's glory. Isn't that beautiful? I'll make you heavy with my abundance. And then in verse 16, it says, with long life, I will satisfy him and I will show him my salvation. Speaking of our Noah, we were just having a conversation on the porch with him the other night. He turned 22 this summer. I always know what age he's turning based on the year because Noah was born in the year of 2000, so he's always the age of the year we're in. Noah is very much starting to grow up in so many ways, and part of that is just understanding what he wants in life. As I mentioned before, I pray that somehow one of the themes threaded through Noah's life is that he does have a longing for peace and contentment and rest in his life. And he's at the age of really beginning to see that and understand the value of contentment and peace above material things. I think that begins to develop in us more when we're able to look at the world around us and see that it offers zero peace and contentment. And because of that, we begin to highly value this spiritual provision that God promises those who hold fast to Him. Suddenly, God satisfying us with long life and Him showing us His salvation, it begins to become a priority and a core value even in our lives. In the original version of this podcast, I told my Patreon audience all about a rite of passage ceremony that we held for Noah when he was 13. We held this ceremony at our home, and much of the themes of the night we pulled from this book called Raising a Modern Day Night. And some of Noah's teachers from school came, a few close friends and some family, and we had a dance floor brought in and laid out on the front lawn. Noah's small group leader from church at the time was our DJ for the night. We had Krispy Kreme donuts brought in instead of a birthday cake, as per Noah's request. And I remember 
most of the menu, it was like chocolate-covered bacon and jalapeno shortbread cookies. And I remember I bought these like little antique cigar boxes, and we loaded them with these like fat pretzel sticks dipped in white chocolate for like pretzel cigars. <laughs> we also brought in a barista, which, you know, he made like frappuccinos and coffees all night, which was so spectacular. But for the actual ceremony, we had five different men read blessings over Noah that they had written for him. My dad opened our time with a blessing of Noah being a courageous leader. And in the Raising a Modern Day Night book by Robert Lewis, he says, the courage to lead with truth rather than surrender to or relying on our feelings always separates the men from the boys. My brother Eric spoke over Noah about what it looks like for a man to accept responsibility in the book, you learn to help your son reject passivity and instead to accept his responsibility as a man as he walks into life as an adult. We had a family friend speak over Noah about what it looks like to be a friend who sticks closer than a brother, that life isn't just about him journeying alone, but that we were made to co-labor and be in community with each other. And our pastor at the time, Louie, he spoke over Noah about what it looks like to be the heir of a greater reward. Not only are we in this together, but we're also in this for a reward that's greater than anything this life could bring. And then last, Nathan spoke over Noah, a blessing that he's a loved champion. The key to a father speaking this over his 13-year-old boy is that he is already a loved champion and has been since he was born. So it isn't about what he's done, but who he is and who he belongs to, which is not just us, his parents, but his heavenly father. And after each man read his blessing over Noah, they would say, Noah, I name you courageous leader or love champion or friend who sticks closer than a brother. And then they'd say to everyone in the room, if you all agree, join me in speaking this truth over Noah by saying we do. And those of us who were gathered there in our living room said, we do as a way to symbolically bless Noah. Now, I will say this. Did Noah understand everything that was happening that night? Not hardly. He was barely 13. <laughs> I actually recall that when the party went late into the night, Noah hit the dance floor in a head-to-toe, black-and-white, checkered morph suit. <laughs> morph suits were really big at the time. I mean, you just have to think in your head, like, checkerboard Power Ranger tearing up the dance floor, <laughs> just to give you some perspective on where we were at. The rite of passage ceremony was just way more of an act of obedience on our part as Noah's parents to just celebrate him for one, which every young boy just desperately needs to be celebrated, especially as they start becoming a man. This celebration was just a way for us and our community at the time to just say, we're here to help you find your way. We love you. We think you're amazing. And to just speak blessings over him like, you have what it takes. That's not just a phrase you just throw out at your kids. It's something you intentionally speak into their guts. It's something that you tell them that you're continually committed to helping them remember. It's something you believe for them and on their behalf when they aren't able to believe it for themselves yet. One thing I'll never forget is how I planned that event meticulously and nailed down so many details. And the whole thing really was so beautiful. But at the end of the night, I realized that I did not take 
one photograph. (laughs) Not one. Now, I had hired a young woman photographer to do a fun photo booth, which was set up in the front room. And it was a very dear friend of ours. She had nannied our kids. She spent all this time setting it all up. And it was perfect. I do have some hilarious photo booth pictures of Noah and his friends. (laughs) But I do not have, I think I have one candid moment from someone who happened to take a picture while we were praying over Noah. But I didn't get any with his friends, none with his teachers, none with his small group leaders, nor even any of him on the you know dance floor with his morph suit on. And I was beating myself up about it. As you can imagine, I remember the days that followed, I was literally almost couldn't speak. And now I clearly see that the enemy was doing anything he could to downplay and even discourage me after such a sacred night. And that's when Nathan called to my remembrance that I was actually in the moment. In fact, everything was done ahead of time and the barista we hired was getting everyone all the beautiful yummy drinks they needed. My dad was even set up with a little antique style popcorn maker and he was like serving people fresh hot popcorn all night. We were in the moment. I was right there on the dance floor with Noah and his friends. I enjoyed a frozen latte. I ate the chocolate bacon and I had a Krispy Kreme donut. (laughs) I sat fully tuned in as we named Noah names like Courageous Leader and Heir of the Greater Reward and Loved Champion and taking pictures of the moment literally never even crossed my mind. And you know what? I've come to think that the Lord even allowed it to be that way to show me something really powerful The ceremony for Noah was about planting something so much deeper than me getting pretty candid photos of the night. In fact, I think the Lord was showing me that we weren't going to see the effects of all of it for a really long time. This wasn't going to be an instant picture of all that God was doing. These were going to be themes threaded through Noah's life, themes that we are just now and will continue to see grow into something strong and tall in Him. I learned to be very careful when telling the masses about our children. It's just a mama bird thing in me that wants to protect them. We have very normal kids, and they make normal mistakes just like you and I did. They're growing into who God has made them to be just like you and I still are. I've actually learned that it's not helpful or even healthy to publicly dote on my children, and by that I just mean to the masses. Should we affirm them openly and loving community and closeness, yes, absolutely, all the time. But I always feel a bit of caution about pumping them up publicly because of the pressure it can create for them. After all, as I've been saying, it's all about who and whose we are. We don't have what it takes because of anything we possess. It's the mountain mover inside of us, the Almighty, the Most High, that gives us everything we need for life. And what I long for for my kids, and really for all of us for that matter, is a vivid inner life with God where we experience His presence in our living room or when we walk outside with Him just on a daily walk. I think about the word honor again, where we get weighted down with His abundance and His glory in very quiet and real and raw ways as we learn to hold fast to Him in this life. So rather than the Pinterest perfect rite of passage ceremony photos, (laughs) 
It's a daily surrender to make God our dwelling place right in the middle of the mundane today. And then to just be still and wait for the brush of His feathers as He surrounds us. Even now, our shield, even today. I'll talk to you soon.